know that sometimes a breakup is the shakeup you need to redirect your life. And so if you're trading on ego, you're very easily replaceable. Ideally, it's like, would I want 6-1? Yes. Would I take 5-10? Now, yes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, no, because it's 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 like, that's not the most important thing. Mm -hmm. I was like the hot Asian girl and I played that hot Asian girl role. That's a popular category I heard. I'm <laughs> <laughs> trying to get between you. So, Amy Chan, Chief Heart Hacker of Renew Breakup Bootcamp, welcome to Beyond. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to finally do this because we've interacted so much outside of, you know, the interview space, but I've always wanted to interview you. I don't know if you know this, but Neil Strauss gave me your book. <laughs> Did you know that? No. Yeah, I don't want to tell you when we were talking because that's, I mean, he he's the one who gave it to me and I remember he pulled out like a note that you gave to him Aww. so that he could keep it but <laughs> yeah this this was a, a gift from Neil Strauss to me when I like went through a breakup mm. and so I've had it for a long time cool <laughs> yeah so I'm, I'm very excited to have this conversation because I feel like nobody really knows you know how to navigate relationships in a way that's like healthy and functional. We're just sort of winging life yeah. right now. Yeah. So I feel like it's so crucial to have people like you who really understand people's patterns and what works and what doesn't work. So I'm excited to talk to you about that. Um, I know earlier outside we were talking about um, the patterns that people have and like the dangle, which is such a common thing. I wanna get into what that is because so many people have been affected by it Yeah. and so many people have been pulled into the wrong like relationship situationships because of it. So can you explain what that is? Yeah, let's get right into it. So just to give some context, we were talking about the dangle in the context of these unavailable people that we seem to be so addicted to. And even if there's an option of someone who's available and kind and everything that we say that we want, there's this yearning for this other energy which we know is bad for us. And so what happens is I think once we've been burned quite a few times, we start doing the work, we read the books, we go to therapy. Um, and intellectually, we know what's right for us, what's wrong for us, and then I've noticed something that happens is right when you're on the precipice of change, the universe or whatever it is drops in a dangle. And this is something that's going to tempt you to go back to an old pattern. And that is when you really have a choice point. You now have the knowledge of what is healthy, what is unhealthy. And you're going to make a decision of which path you're going to go. You're going to either sue that addiction, that old familiar past, or you're going to choose this unknown path that might be a little boring, might be a little uncomfortable. And I see people go both ways. I see when people say, you know what, this is a dangle. I knew this was going to happen. I'm not going to go there. And they take the other path. And they really, I think, step over the line of change and even transformation. How do you know when something's a dangle? And is it always, does it always have to be boring for it to be real? No, absolutely not. And I think when it comes to that whole dynamic of the unavailable person that we're drawn to, part of that is we're drawn to the intensity and the chase. And that, even if it's painful, um, 
it gives us this feeling of being alive. And a lot of us like that unavailability because it's familiar, because of something that was modeled to us in our childhood. And so the nice kind is not familiar, it's very foreign. And you will then be like, that's boring, instead of recognizing that anxiety is not actually love. Um, and what you think is boring is actually peaceful. That makes sense. So I know you're in a relationship, yeah. in a healthy relationship. Yeah. And you've been in one for, what, three and a half years? Uh-huh. Okay. So tell me a little bit about that. And also, like, I'm sure you've had your own patterns where you've learned things, you know, that led you into what you have now. Yeah. I mean, I, I joke that I was born with a broken heart because... It was the one area I kept struggling with um, relationships. That's why I dove into the psychology and the science of it because I was like, oh, maybe I can hack love and I won't feel so hurt all the time. And I was textbook love addict, anxiously attached, codependent, overgiving person. And um, time after time, I kept having the same experiences of feeling anxious, chasing someone, trying to edit myself so that I could be the version of that they wanted and maybe then they would love me. And I never recognized that there was a pattern. I was like, you know, in my teens and early 20s, I only like DJs and club owners. And then in my 30s, only like tech CEOs. And I was like, there's, there's no, you know, pattern here. But the emotional experience was exactly the same. And when I looked back, that was the emotional experience I had growing up with my father. And so it's something called attractions of deprivation where we actually try to subconsciously um, relive these patterns in an attempt to change its ending. And we don't mm. know that we're doing it. And so I think going through that a lot um, and then really seeking help, going to from the retreats, from the books to the therapy and starting to apply that in life, I was able to kind of heal a lot of those wounds and build a stronger foundation, um, which led me to creating a healthy relationship. This is the first time in my life I've been in a healthy relationship. Well, thank God <laughs> yeah. that you're in one. Yeah. So, so when that started, what was different about it where you're like, okay, I'm going to move forward with this, even though it feels unfamiliar to me. So I did a series of things. Um, I, I talk about this in my book, that we all have something called a chemistry compass. And this is like our internal GPS that points us in, into the direction of who we're drawn to and who we're repulsed by. And again, because of attractions of deprivation, human beings, we're drawn to what's familiar. And so if chaos, intensity, anxiety was your norm growing up, that's going to feel really familiar and AKA, I feel chemistry with this person. And I recognized something was really off with my chemistry compass when uh, a friend of mine actually, um, in a really respectful way, asked me like, hey, you know, we seem to have the same values, want the same things, would you be open to seeing if there could be something more, could I take you on a date? And I had a physical reaction of disgust. I remember I was at work, I slammed my computer and I screamed. And my coworkers were like, oh my God, are you okay? And I was like, this isn't normal that I had a reaction like this um, when a good, nice, attractive, successful guy asked me out on a date. I'm like, something's wrong. So I conducted a dating experiment on myself. Okay. <laughs> where I'm like, okay, 
I'm going to go um, on dates for the next like six months and I'm going to say yes to anyone who appears to be kind is interested in me and I'm going to also swipe on people I would normally not give a chance to. I was, I had this whole thing where I would only date entrepreneurs and if you work nine to five, I wouldn't date you. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to swipe. I didn't care what, you know, if you had a nine to five, I didn't care if you were shorter than me, taller than me, anything. Like I was like, I'm going to start saying yes and I'm going to give each person two to three dates. And I started going on these dates and they were really kind, like, and they liked me and I wasn't chasing them. And I was like, it wasn't working. I was like, this is boring. This is boring. I don't like them. And one of the guys actually in the beginning, I had met through a friend. I had said to him like, hey, you know, I know like you're into me, but I'm not feeling anything romantically. If you want to just hang out as homies, like I'm down. And he's like, yeah, like you're awesome. I'd love to just get to know you. And I remember seven months in being like, this dating experiment doesn't work. And we had hung out multiple times. And there was this dinner we were at. And I just remember looking at him. I was like, huh, like you're handsome. And I realized, I'm like, oh, I'm attracted to him. And so my dating experiment did work because slowly, bit by bit, it was growing my familiarity with what does healthy feel like? What does peaceful feel like? What does support feel like? And my chemistry compass changed. And I just, I stopped dating assholes after that. <laughs> That's, I mean, the best role model we have. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that makes, that makes sense to me because I also had experiences where I was attracted to guys that were like that or I'm like, oh, he needs to be doing this, making this, whatever right. the checklist thing is. Yeah. Um, and recently I've been noticing that like I have a lot of very good men in my life mm -hmm. like everyone that I work for or everyone that I work with um and just men that I'm friends with mm -hmm. and I started noticing that all the men around me who who I have like platonic relationship friendships with have like they do so much more for me and go out of their way so much more than not all but major a majority of men that I would date mm. and this realization popped into my head that if I have a standard like that yeah. for the for the friends that are around me yeah. and just people that I work with, why don't I have that romantically? And instead, I chase this feeling mm. because having support and you know reliability is so much more important yeah. than anything. Yeah, like that's what you need. And yeah. so, I totally agree with you on the the chemistry compass thing that like it can change because mm -hmm. what you what you experience i notice in myself and just in what i'm telling you mm -hmm. so that's super important um the other thing i remember reading was about boundaries not walls and that stuck out to me because of course boundaries are important that's how you know you show people what you're comfortable and not comfortable with what you'll accept yeah. versus what you won't but then if you have too many, it could turn into a wall. Can mm -hmm. we get into that? Yeah, something I notice a lot with my, within myself and also with my clients is if you have a history of not having boundaries, um, of being taken advantage of or overgiving, and then you learn about boundary work, what happens is they tend to go to the other side of the extreme. Or maybe they didn't even learn about boundary work, but they're just like, I've had enough. And so they go from, Overgiving no boundaries to complete walls and there's like a fortress around their heart and nothing can get in and 
you know, I think it's important that any time you find yourself going from extreme to extreme, that's generally a maladaptive coping mechanism. And sometimes we need to do that. That's the path to kind of balance back into the middle. Um, but I, I think it's important for us to kind of look at, are we actually just in a survival state where we're blocking out people because we associate love or intimacy with pain and is actually helpful and is that actually healthy? And, and that's fine. You could pivot back to like, okay, I'm going to slowly build trust again. I'm going to slowly open again. And um, as we start building our foundation, you find that you don't have to be so rigid um, and that people grow and you can have conversations. And um, yeah, it doesn't have to be so black and white. What's an example of rigid? Um, so... Having lived in New York for a while, and I'll just use my own example of getting really exhausted with the, the whole dating scene and, you know, guys that had five people on the rotation, blah, blah, blah. Um, my extreme of boundaries was I got really rigid in what guys had to do. And if you didn't do these things, if you don't call immediately this amount of time after, if you didn't do this, if you didn't pay, if you didn't blah, it was like, no, I'm better than that. And, and so I kept blocking people and being like, I'm so picky. And I was so proud of being picky. And it was actually um, a, a defense mechanism of like, let me push people out because that felt a lot safer than actually accepting that we are all flawed human beings, myself included, and it was a lot easier for me to judge other people for what they weren't doing, how they weren't good enough for me, because I spent my whole life never feeling good enough and always wanted to earn their, other people's approval. And so I think that's an example of rigidity, and I see this a lot with some of my clients and friends who've been single for a while. Suddenly their checklist is astronomical and it's like a guaranteed way that no one will ever make it through oh my god yeah yeah um I totally relate to that <laughs> unfortunately but I'm working on it how are you working on it um I mean like with what I said about having like standards for my friends mm -hmm. so I feel like those things are way more important than the things that I was looking for mm -hmm. before because when I looked at my checklist it's like, okay, is height that that important? Mm, it's like, you know, ideally it's like, would I want 6'1"? Yes. Would I take 5'10"? Now, yes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, no, because it's, it's, it's like that's not the most important thing. Mm -hmm. I still feel safe with a guy who's 5'10". It's, right. not, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? As long as, like, you know, he's just on the lookout I'm not going to feel unsafe it's just in my head these yeah. things that we think that we want or that we feel like are signals to the world that we have a good partner mm -hmm. you know because a lot of it is like trying to prove that you're worthy to other people like mm -hmm. a lot I think the Instagram culture really makes people feel like they need to be with someone that has xyz whether that's you know a certain amount of followers or money or whatever but I, I do see people chasing relationships that are sort of more a signal to the world than what will actually make them happy. They'll only date guys who are verified. They'll only date guys <laughs> who are... Some, some of these girls only date guys who have private jets. It's just like, it, I've right. seen that, you know? I think in L.A. we see that more yeah. than ever. 
And I, I think that is a, what I call an ego transaction yeah. versus um, like a soul connection. And, you know, I, I remember this moment. I was in New York at some fancy place and I was sitting there with a friend. I was just watching and I was like seeing, you know, the finance guys with the bottles and the models. And I was like, this is so really interesting because they're just making a trade, right? Yeah. Like she's trading um the the sexiness the the looks the all that and he's trading you know the status the money and i think that that can work for a period of time um but there's always going to be someone hotter smarter more powerful with more instagram followers than than you um and so if you're trading on ego you're very easily replaceable and i feel like you're a lot more insecure about that connection because it's not really a true connection and I think, you know, you raise a point that a lot of people struggle with, which is this idea of the type or the package. And it's, you know, I, I don't blame people. We have ideas from how we're socialized. We have this kind of vision in our head. And I think the challenge with that is we are just using a dating strategy that's outdated for the results we actually want because that dating strategy is amazing when you're in your 20s it's all about novelty excitement building network all that stuff great date the hot person that is a height requirement or where's the brands that you like and when you have a different outcome that you want maybe it's family maybe it's a partner maybe it's knowing that um, you're you've helped your parents who are you know dying and you recognize that at the end what matters is someone who's going to be there for you even when you're sick um, your dating strategy changes and we need to focus on how is it that we want to feel because a package might look really different than what's in your head today's episode of beyond is brought to you by moonpay MoonPay is your portal to Web3 where you can transact with peers globally and own your digital identity. MoonPay makes it fast and simple to jumpstart your Web3 journey. Quickly use your debit or credit card to buy and sell crypto and purchase digital collectibles. Visit MoonPay.com to get started. Um, a question that comes to mind is, how would you instruct people when evaluating other partners to avoid the ego transaction because, you know, a young impressionable girl obviously goes out into the world and she might look for that, especially in a city like this or right. New York or, you know. Um, but then I think inevitably those relationships, they fizzle out mm -hmm. and everyone wonders what went wrong. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're talking to, to a young girl who's had that happen many times and she wants to avoid that type of partner, Wh like, what do you, what's your advice? I would say focus your energy on building your inner world and your foundation. And that's a combination of your community, your friends, your career, your ability to make money. Um, and the type of person you will attract and be attracted to hopefully is going to be very different than if the only thing you have to offer is physical beauty and youth because that there's an expiry date to that and I work with people 
20, 30 years later where they entered in and the first couple years were amazing, right? There's that transaction. She's young. He has the money. Maybe she stops working. Maybe he's like, you know what? It's totally safe for you to not work. I'm going to take care of stuff. Just, just do this, you know, stuff on the side. And eventually the lust fades. And it's not that these, these guys are evil and they set out like, yeah, I'm just going to like eventually just um, cheat with my 23-year-old assistant. But what happens is when someone is your lifeline, it changes the power dynamics. And you cannot bank your strategy on lust because the lust is going to go away. We all know that. It's chemistry. And what are you going to do then? And then what about, what do you say to men who are looking for youth? Because there's that angle too. It's not just young, impressionable girls. It's men who keep chasing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And like, I mean, you see it with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. He just keeps dating the younger and younger and younger girl. And I'm sure you've seen him at parties, but like, he doesn't look like someone who's fulfilled. Mm. I haven't seen Leo at a party lately. Oh, well, maybe but, it's just me hanging out in L.A. hotspots. <laughs> but, you know, I understand what you're saying. And I I think the, um, the numbing, whatever your vice is, whether it's with women, men, status, private jets, drugs, whatever it is, there's a point where hopefully you recognize that that strategy isn't getting you what you actually want, what your soul is actually crying for. And unfortunately, a lot of people, when they get in so deep, they're so numb to that hole, that emptiness, that they don't know any other way. Um, and some people get to that and they have friends or maybe they're having those conversations or they start looking inward and they realize like, wait, I've got all the stuff, the stuff that I thought was meant to make me happy and I'm still not. So what am I doing wrong here? And like, you know, is it, maybe it's just me being bored. Maybe it's me not having any validation from external sources. And, you know, that's a, that's a journey. It's a long one. Um, so I don't think that there's one thing I could say to a guy who keeps going for young, the next young hot thing, but to ask questions of like, hey, does that, does that make you feel good in your soul? Like if you had no more money and therefore none of these interactions or transactions would happen, like how would that feel? And what are you going to do when you're, when you're old and you don't really have someone who's there that's there because they love you for your soul, but they only love you for those things and you need someone to really fight for you. Like, how about then? And all you can do is hopefully spark something that creates an inside inquiry for themselves. That's really powerful. Um, I hear a lot about needing to do the work, whether mm. that's like inner child work or something else, but what does that involve? Because I keep seeing that over and over again, especially with these like Instagram psychologist accounts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But it's like, what, like, what's that process? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the positive thing about all the Instagram psychologists, and I swear everyone's a coach now, is that it's made therapy and looking internal and 
self-care and all those things a lot more accessible and less taboo, right? Because in my parents' generation, this stuff is weird and you're fucked up if you go to therapy. So I think that's a positive thing. But I think there's also a lot of stuff you have to sort through. And I think the work is going to look very different for every single person, but it's recognizing, okay, where am I now? Where do I want to be? And what do I need to do to close that gap? And it might be a starting point of like, okay, maybe the very first thing is, I'm just going to read this book. That's going to then lead you to maybe a type of um, healing modality, whether it's therapy or EDMR or psychedelic, ther whatever it is. And you kind of just keep step by step going and um, not shaming yourself in the process of it. And what happens is you just start to recognize those patterns. It's the very first step, but that's not enough. Awareness is great, but it's not until you actually start making different choices. And it's in those small things we do on a daily basis, the boring stuff that adds up and creates transformation. It's not in that one Tony Robbins weekend. It's not even in the one breakup boot camp. It is that boring stuff of reminding yourself to not do things out of guilt, uh, to take a moment to do something that's kind to yourself, to not shame yourself when you feel an emotion that's negative. It's these little small things and it's like, if you shift the, you know, the compass of an airplane just a couple of degrees, um, you don't notice it in the beginning, but you end up at a completely different destination. But it has to happen through consistency and making better choices. Okay. So, like, what are little habits that we can change on a day-to-day -day basis that, that you've seen? Because I know you work with a lot of people, and you've seen those shifts, and that's why you can speak on them. So what are, what are like little changes that, that you advise people to take or pay attention to? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the one that's all already out there is not new. Meditation is a really great place to start because I think it's just even the act of being like, you know what, I'm just going to set 10 minutes or 20 minutes or five minutes. That, that Just that decision in itself is doing something. And then what happens is that you start to get comfortable with these thoughts that come up and that you don't need to be attached to all of them. And it helps you, and you know, there's obviously science and how it helps with the gray matter of the brain and whatnot, but that's really great. And you can do even a, a meditative mindfulness walk, right? Where you just allow yourself to be bored, to let your mind rest. Um, I think that's the number one thing. Another easy thing, journaling. And, and so, it, this isn't woo-woo stuff. It enables us to re to release. It, it's almost like the debugging of the mind. It helps you build the relationship you have with yourself and with your thoughts. Um, so those are two really easy things that you can do. And I think investing in um, in what is the knowledge and energy that is around you. And this is going to be a combination of the friends and those conversations that you're having to what podcasts are you listening to, to what books are you reading? Um, because if you're vegging out every night watching, you know, the Kardashians and then you meet up with your friends and then you're just talking about beauty treatments and gossip, um, all of that <laughs> is creating your patterns. Yeah. And 
It's funny you say that because over the years I've had so many different types of friends. And when I went from, it's not that I'm not friends with those girls, but friends that only talk about beauty treatments and things and things that are a little more superficial and materialistic, and I started becoming friends with entrepreneurs and builders and authors, my entire world changed. Mm. It really does change the way that your brain works. Yeah. And you sort of, you become solution oriented in the right way. Whereas like, you know, just using the beauty example, it's very easy for a woman to be led down the path of, if you become pretty and the prettiest version of yourself, then you will be happy. Right. But we all know that's not true. Yeah. We all know that's not true. But if you, if you find friends that are doing the habits that you're talking about, whether it's meditation, journaling, ice baths, which are too cold for us. <laughs> but like, sorry, you know, Neil. infrared, yeah, sorry, Neil, <laughs> infrared saunas, um, you know, stuff like that. And their time is dedicated to improving themselves in ways that are healthier, then that's what you're doing. Yeah. And then your your the outcome of your life changes. Yeah. So So that's what that makes me think of. The other thing that I wanted to bring up, which... I feel like sex has always been a hot topic, um, but our relationship to sex, whether you're a man or a woman or whatever, it's important. And I think for women, what I observe is that there's a lot of shame associated mm -hmm. with sex because, you know, especially if you're, if you have like, if your parents are immigrants, mm -hmm. like a lot of cultures are not okay with, we're not okay with women having sex before marriage mm -hmm. or, or things of that nature. And then with men, it's like a constant chase. Mm -hmm. um, and that becomes like a sort of culture for them. So what's a healthier way to approach sex than what we've been taught? Yeah, I mean, I'm fresh from a Tantra retreat. <laughs> so um, I, I think that there's a lot of shame because of obviously conditioning and what we've seen in the movies, how a lot of people got their sex ed in porn. Um, and there's a lot of people who are addicted to lust. And so you take that and then you take this idea that we need to perform and what is a sexy woman and we make these noises and we make these poses. And like, I, you do that long enough where I think that the act of sex, um, it becomes like a sport, like you're sport fucking. And like, that's fine, right? Um, and I feel like there's also another world where it could be such an expression of love and it's not just about orgasm and it's not even just about pleasure and it can actually be healing. Um, so I'm like really new in this journey because I feel like my most of my life I've been performing. I was like the hot Asian girl and I played that hot Asian girl role. And that's a popular category I heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and so I've been really um, exploring that within myself. And um, yeah. Yeah, that's so funny. I would have never thought that you played in that you played into that based on like how you are or yeah. that or how I know you to be. But it's it's so crazy. Someone recommended a book to me that I think is pretty popular. You may have heard of it. It's called Come As You Are. Oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, what what's like the takeaway from that book? Because 
Yeah, it's a really great book because it talks about how um, the turn-ons for uh, women and men generally are quite different. And so that there's different things that cause a lot of breaks for a woman. And so like we we need different things like from the environment to not feeling all these stressors or like, oh my gosh, there might be a baby crying and all these things. And so it's it's a really great book on like shifting your perspective on sex and that it's not just about orgasm and intimacy can be in so many different ways. There, um, yeah, so yeah. Highly recommend for both men and women to read. And you could read it together. Okay, interesting. I don't have anyone to read it with now, Amy. But <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully soon. Uh, hopefully soon I will. So you work with a lot of people who are going through breakups and then you rebuild you know, their self-esteem and help them with their compass. What does that process look like? And do you have any examples? Obviously, I know you don't like reveal your clients' identities. But, um, but yeah, do you have any examples um, where you know you saw someone was completely devastated by their situation, and then you know you've helped them rebuild and find another healthy relationship. Yeah, so I'd say a common theme of people that I work with is um, the relationship becomes the identity, and um, what happens is like. I get very excited when people are going through a breakup because I see it as a beginning. Mm -hmm. And I know that sometimes a breakup is the shakeup you need to redirect your life. And so even though they're devastated, I know where they will end up. Um, and so, yeah, what I've seen a lot are, um, it happens really slowly and gradually, this giving away of your own power, the giving away of your identity. And suddenly your whole world is about this person. And so I deal with a lot of people who tend to be more anxiously attached because they tend to take breakups a lot more harder. Uh, a lot of people who are more codependent, people who tend to overgive, overplease. And what I do when I work with them, um, there's a combination. So like if I work with them privately, is like, how do we rebuild that foundation again? And what does that look like? What are all the areas that make up a strong foundation? And then what are actual tactical, actionable items to build that up? Um, and then what happens is they end up this identity 2.0 and the version of them is so different that they're repulsed by their ex because they're like, that was of a different me. Like, I'm not even drawn to that anymore. And that's inc absolutely incredible. But I've had such amazing stories having run breakup boot camp for now like seven years. Like people who were in abusive relationships, people who were in on again, off again relationships, smart, strong, you know, lawyers in, in New York who who can like, you know, do like the craziest deals and mergers, but then when it comes to their love life, they're stuck with a narcissist. And um, it's really, I feel like most people, they're, they're only a few small tweaks and shifts away from being able to create healthy love. I don't think it's like you need this complete overhaul in your life, but it's usually like there's a wound there, right? And I work with a lot of overachievers. And if you look at that, often they learn at a very young age, I'm not worthy. So the way I earn love is to get really good grades and to be the captain of the lacrosse team. And then you grow up and you build the company, you do all of that. And you, if you peel it all back, it's like, because deep down there's this little child that's like, I'm not worthy of love. And so while it worked wonders for your career, 
it's wreaking havoc in your relationships. So how do we start shifting that belief? How do we start nourishing that wound and healing that? Because when it's when you are having these relationships based on a place of such lack of it, like that you're inferior, it's bound to blow up. Today's episode of Beyond is brought to you by MoonPay. MoonPay is your portal to Web3 where you can transact with peers globally and own your digital identity. MoonPay makes it fast and simple to jumpstart your Web3 journey. Quickly use your debit or credit card to buy and sell crypto and purchase digital collectibles. Visit MoonPay.com to get started.